Just to do a little housekeeping before we get started with this episode, I want to apologize up front for the sound quality. There are multiple people in the studio. It's not just me this time. And while I have upgraded equipment, I have also changed a computer in which I'm recording to, and I'm having trouble with the computer recognizing the soundboard and the microphones that I've upgraded to. However, in the past, we have delayed releasing episodes and even recording episodes due to technical issues, sound issues, and I don't want that to happen again. So with that being said, I am not at all satisfied with the sound quality and the recording quality of this episode, but I am going to release it, and we will continue to release content regardless of the sound quality, but rest assured that I am trying everything that I know to do and researching other ways to get my soundboard, my new equipment, to speak the same language as the computer that I am recording on. It's hard to imagine that Halloween was ever an article of controversy, but the history of Halloween in America was surprisingly contentious. It took a long time to become established as a mainstream holiday and was resisted, perhaps not so surprisingly, by religious authorities. Halloween has its origins in the Celtic holiday of Samhain. It was a Druidic festival held between the evening of October 31st and the sunset of the following day. The ancient Druids believed that during this night, the separation between the worlds of the living and the dead softened. Ghosts, they believed, roamed the countryside, damaging crops and meddling in human affairs, and it was also a time when divination was thought to be more powerful. After the Celts were conquered by the Romans, Samhain underwent a series of revisions. Over the course of the 400-year Roman governorship, Samhain blended with two similar Roman holidays, a day to honor the dead and a holiday to celebrate Pomona, the Roman goddess of trees and fruit. Samhain was later suppressed by the Roman church and replaced with All Souls Day. It wasn't until the huge influx of Irish and Scottish immigrants in the latter part of the 19th century that Halloween in America became nationally popular. It was then that Halloween really started to take shape into the form that's most familiar to us. Celebrants would dress in costumes and go from door to door asking for money or food, the origin of the modern trick-or-treat. By the early 20th century, Halloween had been largely gutted of its death and its mayhem overtones. Even though Halloween had a rocky first few centuries, it is now entrenched as one of the most popular holidays in the country. Halloween in America has undergone many transformations, but as it stands now, it's an almost entirely secular affair, split evenly between children playing dress-up and adults doing the same. And welcome back to Beyond the Walls podcast. My name is Ben James. I'm your host. The good part of the evening, well, maybe the good part, who knows how long it'll be good, but I have a couple co-hosts in studio with me. First off, let's welcome back Michael Walker. Mike, glad to have you back, buddy. Hello and good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever these podcasters are listening to this. Just want to say a good morning, afternoon, or evening to you too as well. And that good lasted 10 seconds of having that back in the studio. But we are also graced with the presence of our fact checker, Model 2000, Mike Gollihue's with us. Mike, welcome back. Hey, hey, hey. 
So we are coming to you for the third and final episode of our History of Halloween series that we've been doing here at Beyond the Walls podcast. It's um, This is going to be a little bit different. Well, it's going to be a whole lot different from our first two episodes because basically it was just me and those first couple and we took the first episode, we took a geographical look at what uh, the surroundings of the Samhain Festival that was held on the hill called Tlakga. Indeed. Plotka. By the way, you did an yeah. excellent job in those. Mr. Oh, James. thank you. We took a look at the geographical history, uh, some of the significance that bo- that all of the solstices throughout the year played, and we also took a little bit of a look at how dawn, D-O-N-N, uh, transferred or went from this life to what he's more popular and popularly known as, more famously known in Irish folklore and tradition as being Lord of the Dead. So that was the first episode. The second episode, we got into the Samhain Festival itself. We looked at some of the rituals, some of the beliefs, some of the practices of the time, and, and you know, from the standpoint of both a lighter side and a darker side. So this episode, we're primarily going to be focusing on Halloween in America, what it means to us now. Uh, we're going to make some pop culture references because we have one of the uh, Halloween Michael Myers movie guru in here in the studio with us tonight. It's Mike Gullahue is uh, is a big fan of those movies, but we're going to trace a little bit of the history leading up to what we know today as Halloween, and we're going to look at the, the festivities and the holiday that's getting ready to take place here on Tuesday, October 30. No, it's Wednesday, October 31st. 2018. Yeah, yeah, we are. We need to time date this one just in case somebody hears it from... Next year, yeah. from this year. Good point. Or Good they point. could be hearing it last year from this year. Yeah, time, the only reason for time, the only reason it exists, according to Einstein, is to keep everything from happening at once. Hmm. That's the only purpose for time. That's a smart man. Yeah, so I was thinking Tuesday because we're doing our church's trunk or treat. So, guys, tell me a little bit um, about the first couple episodes we had here in this series. What are some of your all's thoughts, your takeaways? Uh, just your overall impressions of you know the Halloween festival, the Halloween holiday that we have now, as opposed to what we've covered here at Beyond the Walls for the first couple episodes. I'm really pretty much I can't really add on to anything other than what you've said. Um, I do find it's interesting, actually not even just the differences, but actually how much similarities we have between um, the old um, pagan customs and what we do today. Mm-hmm. Um, Boiled down to simplicity, you know, we wear costumes, the jovial pranksterhood of, you know, both. But again, like I said, I mean, there's not really much I could add to what you in great detail went over. Um, again, just the similarities between the spirit of the old and the present. Okay. Mr. Walker, anything? No. When you see the similarities now, even though in today's world that we've seen the... Um, Modernization, we've, we've seen taking away a lot of the childhood pranks, the, the pranks that keep on coming in out, the mischief, as to quote you, the mischief that's coming out of it. We're starting to see that shift and change coming into the 21st century. Um, but fortunately, though, I, I in my career, though, I've, I've had to deal with the mischief and the pranks, not done by me, but done by other people. And I, I had to go in and put out that for lack of better terms, fire. Uh, it's uh, the festival of fire. Yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, Good I, reference. I have never engaged in Halloween pranking. There has been, there's been some people refer to maybe what's called corning 
I don't know if you've ever heard of corny mm-hmm. or not, but basically what, what I hear, what I hear is what I read is that you take dried corny, almost like popcorn, mm-hmm. um, and you take it and wait till it's late at night on Halloween uh, and maybe throw it up against somebody's house, making a lot of noise, and it may scare them just a little bit. Huh. But I've also read, side note, it does not work on brick houses. Oh. Interesting. It, you 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 read that. I read that, that. as we're read that. as we're doing this in a brick house. And listen, yeah. I cursory research is my specialty. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Yeah. So I read that. Also, yeah. I may have read that some people used to go around and maybe be generous with toilet paper. Maybe thinking they didn't have very much toilet paper, so they gave them plenty. Outside oh, that's, of that's thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a, it's a season of giving, really. I mean. Just to highlight, I did this in the last episode, but I'll go ahead and hit this very quickly as, as we kind of progress through this, just to kind of bring us up to modern day, and we get to talk about a few things. Um, just the history of Samhain after um, Christianity moved into the area. So in 43 AD, after four centuries of Roman rule, additional celebrations were added to the Celtic festival of Samhain. One was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. Now, as the symbol for this goddess was an apple, I think that we can easily deduce that it's commonly believed that from this festival came the tradition of bobbing for apples on Halloween, which, now that we've got a couple Office fans in here in the studio, one of the greatest bobbing for apple moments that I can think is when Aaron is bobbing for apples at the Office Christmas party. is a fantastic episode. Spoiler alert. Yes. In 609 AD, All Martyrs Day, a day to honor all saints and martyrs, became a tradition in the Roman Church each November the 1st. In 1000 AD, the Roman Church dedicated November 2nd, as All Souls Day in honor of the dead. This day was celebrated with dressing up in devil, angel, and saint costumes and with bonfires and parades. All Saints Day celebration was also referred to as All Hallows, and the night before began to be called All Hallows' Eve, which eventually became Halloween. And I love this even because at 1000 AD, you're looking at being roughly 4,3500 to 4,000 years away, you know, detached from the first Samhain festival. But you still have this devil, angel, and saints costumes along with bonfires. I mean, that's spoiler alert for my maybe my little mini segment later with my, which I'm going to be doing, going into some pop culture with movies later. Um, but just my point of the juxtaposition between the old and the new. We have, did you just say juxtaposition? I did. Very nice. Very I did. Nice. Um, it killed a few brain cells. When okay. I out. Okay. You know, back to the comparison of um, the old and new. Um, I'll be talking about a movie later called The Crow, Ooh. which deals with a, a, a holiday day called uh, Devil's Night, which, going back to our pranks before, um, takes place you know primarily in Detroit, and we'll go into a little bit more about that later. Just spoiler alert again. Very nice. Very nice. So the history of Halloween in 1556, the tradition we now call trick-or-treating, has its beginnings in a three-day event called All Hallow Tide. These three days span the eve of All Saints Day into All Souls Day, which the participants dress in black to mourn the dead. This also begins the practice of quote-unquote souling, in which peasants go door-to-door begging for food and treats given out in memory of the dead. And again, we can see a little bit of a flashback here to the original Samhain festivals because they would basically go door-to-door 
dressed up as spirits to keep from garnering the attention of the spirits that they believed to be freely roaming at this time. But they would also go for food, they would go for tricks, they would go for various things. And as we continue to see this progress more and more and more towards modern day, what we see is that a lot of Christians and a lot of churches have problems with Halloween just because of its quote-unquote pagan origins. But what we have to remember is when Christianity moved into the area, they did a lot of assimilating and absorption into the culture. And basically what they did was they took elements of their festivals, their traditions, their holidays, and they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to sand off the rough edges here a little bit. We're going to throw you a bone here and let you keep this, but we're going to make it a little bit smoother. And and it was a really smart compromise, really, because um, when you go and just do a hard reboot and say, all your traditions and customs are gone. These are all your new ones. Um, when they did the absorption, they had a buffer mm-hmm. to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, pretty smart. Yeah. In the 1600s, Halloween is banned by the Puritans of New England. The reason? Not because it was a pagan holiday. Not because they had problems with it from a spiritual or biblical standpoint. They banned it because they considered it a Catholic holiday. Going from this pagan holiday and the absorption and the assimilation that we talked about, now all of a sudden in the 1600s, which is quite some time since the original Samhain festival, but still if you look at it and people consider it a pagan holiday, these Puritans took a stand against it, not because of that, but because they felt it was a Catholic holiday, which they were in, this was 1600s, this was Reformation time. We were in the prime of this right now, the Reformers movement. So for the next 200 plus years, Halloween is celebrated primarily by Catholics and Episcopalians. In the 1700s, many of the traditions still associated with Halloween today began to develop. Celebrants began to dress up and go door to door singing for treats. Turnips are turned into lanterns, and we'll get into a little bit of why it moved from turnips to pumpkins here in a little bit. And tricks are frequently played on others to imitate the hijinks of evil spirits. I just like that word, hijinks. Are you going to start saying jinkies next? Yoinks. Yoinks. We're going with monsters and whatnot. I thought it was appropriate reference. I mean, it is Halloween themed. Yeah. yeah. I'm just giving a, a trying to give a moment of silence here so I can put a Scooby Doo soundtrack into the back of it. <laughs> Over here. <laughs> In the late 1800s, Irish and Scottish immigrants fleeing from the Irish potato famine arrive in mass to America and bring with them their Halloween traditions making the celebration even more popular. So when we talk about the Irish potato famine, please, gentlemen, do not let me down here. What is the one thing that comes to your mind pop culture related about the Irish potato famine? It's shaking bacon. I helped. That's the first <laughs> thing. I don't know why that was in my head. <laughs> and crickets. I don't, wow. I don't, I, don't, I don't even know who you are. I, I really have no Either one. I really don't know where you're going with this. The episode of Friends where they order a pizza, and the pizza delivery girl's really cute, and Ross swears yeah. that he can flirt with her and pick her up. And after yeah, he talks okay. about smelling gas and how the <laughs> natural gas you know they add that. is odorless and they add the scent, he goes on to talk about the Irish potato famine in one of his pickup Never lines. Never knew that, because Mercaptan is actually the stuff that they add to natural gas. That's the actual 
makes it from odorless to an odor odor scent. Yeah, I just went full nerd right there just to let you all know. So if you've ever wondered, ladies and gentlemen, where they got the Friends reference of the smooth flirtations of Ross Geller, I think we just found the inspiration of Michael Walker. <laughs> and that's why I'm single. So... <laughs> <laughs> In the early 1900s, Halloween becomes a more secular holiday when the focus was taken away from witchcraft and ghosts and instead placed on family and friend get-togethers, parties, and parades. So that brings us to today. What are you guys? What What do you all love about Halloween? What are some of the things you just love about well, Halloween? Well, according to my physique, the candy, of course. You know. Yes, you do. De- you are definitely built for radio. Got a face for radio. I got told that the other day, too. So I was like, thanks, man. Okay, so candy, the candy aspect. When I was younger, it was the idea of I got to play dress up because even even at that point in growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, you really dressed up in in like a costume once a year. That that was it. Uh, At least it was for for my household and, and for my family's households. Um, even, Unless there was like a, a school play or something, yeah. yeah. But and, and even going into today, you start to see a whole lot more cosplay. Uh, yeah, uh, cosplay, uh, adult costume parties, even though it may be in May or whatnot. But that was one of the times that I look forward to most was being able to dress up. You know, one of my earliest memories of of Halloween was uh, my my parents made me a Ninja Turtle costume. And Which one I, were you? Uh, Michelangelo, of course. Yeah. Everybody's Michelangelo. So Donatello was my favorite, but we couldn't find mine too. We couldn't find the purple. We couldn't find the purple fabric. So I was Michelangelo. Not many people liked Donatello. And he was he was the smartest. Absolutely. Okay, Mr. Gully, you. Um, I just like to say that I just absolutely love Halloween, and I know that's that's nothing shocking or anything like that. Um, I love it because it's. One day of the year that adults get to be kids again. It seems like everybody is happy. Not discounting the true meaning of Christmas, of course, but it seems like Christmas time, in today's modern time, everybody's stressed. you got to shop. you got to go to a party, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and everybody just gets bored down. But Halloween, everybody's having fun. Um, you're dressed up as whatever pop culture icon you're liking, and it just seems like everybody's stress level goes down. And everybody's a kid. And I, get, I love a good spooky yarn as well. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm, this is my favorite time of year. You know, and as we, as we brought out in one of the, I believe it was, it was either episode one or two, I'll be extremely accurate, of this series. Um, you know, really back when Sawin was, was taking place uh, in Ireland, the, they, they viewed the year as in two seasons. You know, they had summer and winter. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas we view it more primarily quarterly. from a yeah, quarterly uh so, and fall is one of my favorite times of year, and I just, I love this time of year. I love everything, the, the crisp, cool, you know, air that, that comes in, uh, the beautiful foliage on the trees. But one of the one of the most fun things that I remember about this time of year was fall festival. Oh, yes. Out of my absolutely. elementary school. Um, and actually, uh, fun story, I was chasing a girl, surprise, surprise, uh, but we had a very huge, I mean, it was like, Olympic size handicap ramp. You know, it was a wheelchair ramp at Carter Elementary. And I mean, it was like you, you went around the school almost like three or four laps for some reason. But at the top of it, it flattened out and kind of turned to the left. We had the railing, you know, that went, and I'm sitting here. If you're all wondering, I'm 
giving schematics of this to the I mean, guys it, with my hands. It's yeah. pretty detailed. Yeah. I know the exact dimensions just by his hand. They, 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 can, they can see it in their mind's eye. So, But I was chasing her up the ramp. And as it leveled off, there was a little bit of a lip, you know, when the incline met the flat portion, the flat board, and my foot caught on that lip, and I face planted right into the four by four. Ooh, that explains <laughs> the four by four handrail post right there, and I lost consciousness for a while. I mean, it was it was pretty severe, uh, but you know, hey, that's one of my best memories. Yeah. Uh, I get it. But, but I love the, uh, the fall festival aspect of the holiday. So as we, as we begin to break down a little bit more, because we've referenced the parties, we've referenced uh, the trick-or-treat. Uh, you know, I know all of us as, as dads, as parents, you know, one joy of ours that we've all kind of talked about was us growing up, getting to dress up. But there's something about seeing your kids Yep. You know, dressed up and seen any kids. You know, I mean, any kids. Just being able to see them. I know we do trunk or treat, you know, at our church. Uh, and it's just a really awesome thing to be able to see uh, your small children uh, go through and just enjoy the holiday. But you know, we've also got a few traditions that we look at. We look at the, the you know, fodder shocks. Uh, we look at the scarecrows. We look at pumpkins. We look at horror movies. Corn mazes. Uh, yeah, all of that. So so let's let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of your guys' favorites in regards to those, the auxiliary kind of things of Halloween that we celebrate? I, one of my, um, I'm going to get specific here. It's going to be local, but I will just try to describe as best you, I can. You're going to get Pacific? I'm going to get Pacific. Okay. Maybe a little Atlantic. Maybe hey, Indian. Maybe yeah. a little Arctic. I just named all the oceans, kids. <laughs> <laughs> we have a local, um, at, at our uh, Carter Cays Resort, we have a, a, a haunted trail every year. And not only is the Haunted Trail, it's amazing. They do a wonderful job with the scares and the spooks and stuff. But one of the most awesome feelings is being out in your hoodie, chill in the air, waiting in line to um, to enjoy the festivities. And on the way to the line, you can get some hot chocolate. Something we, one of our um, fine cuisines in this area is something called chili in a bag. Ooh, bag of chili. Yes. Just a bag of Fritos. You pour chili in it. You put jalapeno peppers in it. Eat a spoon. And you call it a night. See, we call that walking taco. Yeah, taco absolutely. in a bag. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a regional, you know. But it's but anyway, it's just that feeling of camaraderie when you're talking, everybody's enjoying. You can get the you just, you just I don't know. You just feel the chill in the air. You um, can almost feel it coming in the air tonight. Hold on. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. If we wouldn't have caught us laughing, we could have left that in there, and nobody would have caught it. Oh, I may still leave it in yeah. there anyhow. But yeah, just the chill. I'm a hot-blooded person by nature. You know, I get really hot. But when um, chicken see this is an unprofessional environment. <laughs> Go on. But I'm, I'm a hot-blooded person by nature, and when it cools down, that fall chill hits the air. I just it it transforms me. It, it just but just waiting in line, waiting, knowing that you're getting ready to get a nice little scare. Just I love the feeling. I like the feeling of the camaraderie, everybody being excited, and just everybody just. Being a kid, love it. Yeah. Um, so, some of mine, and actually it started out, as much as I would love to, you know, do Halloween parties, whatnot, you know, one of my earliest memories, uh, especially in being a, a young father, was uh, my oldest son, Andy. You know, him dressing up as the Flash. I, I remember him being so excited to be the Flash that year. Um, that, was, that was one of my earliest memories. You know, even going into this year, 
I have a 12-year-old son that went to a Halloween dance dressed up as Assassin's Creed. But seeing him, because, you know, making that drive just to see him just for that three minutes before he goes into his dance made it all worthwhile. So seeing the, the transformation of my kids, even with my two younger kids, uh, dressing them up as Mario and Luigi, uh, something as silly as that, but... That's that's one of my favorite things to see the kids dress up, especially from kids that I've seen grow up, uh, and now seeing starting to see some of their kids uh, dressing up in into that into that role, and some of them actually wearing the same costume oh, yeah. as what they had on. So now I'm seeing a, a costume be second and third generation. Down the line, I'm sitting here going, well, that, that's, that's, that's great. And it's, I'm starting to still see a lot of the family traditions. Absolutely. The family traditions is, is huge to me. Um, oh, yes. In my family, we have just as many Halloween traditions as we do Thanksgiving and Christmas traditions. Yeah. I mean, this is what we consider what we're in the holiday season, in, as far as my family is concerned, like the beginning of October until New Year's Day. Is, right. You know, it's, e- even the world-famous pumpkin house over in Canova. You know, I helped b- many years ago put pumpkins up at Rick Griffith's house. Uh, then I stopped doing it. And this was the first year in 10 years, 8, 10 years that I, I went back. And to see the transformation there to now seeing my little small hometown of Canova, West Virginia, go from 3,000 people to now in a week you have 30,000 people coming through there just to see that. So these are some of the cool traditions. Yeah, general listeners, by the way, if you ever get into eastern Appalachia, you should do yourself a favor at this time of year and go to the Pumpkin yeah, House. It pumpkin is, it's house. extraordinary. Canova, West Virginia, it is fantastic. Well, let's let's take a look at some of the the traditions, you know, because like both of you referred to, this kind of, this seemingly kind of kicks off the holiday season. You know, we, we start with Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Um, so this is kind of the kickoff to it, at least in my eyes, anyhow. But we look at, you know, some of the things that we do traditionally. You know, we uh, you know, this is my first year without my daughter here at Halloween. So this is the first year that we haven't carved a pumpkin or decorated a pumpkin together. So I'm going to go and break down in the corner here into the fetal position and cry for a little bit. But, Want uh, me and the other Michael to carve a pumpkin with you? No, okay. not at all. Just um, an offer. Yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the, the, the thought there. Uh, he uh, offered, I did. Okay. I just want to make that very clear. But as we, you know, as we've talked about, there is, um, you know, the, the Roman goddess of, of fruit and trees, my Pomona. <laughs> you did not do that. Get out. I'm just going to let it settle a little bit for that pun to, to settle in. But, you know, that's where we settled. You know, that's kind of where we got the bobbing for apples thing. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about the pumpkins how you know the the history the tradition of carving pumpkins what we alluded to a little bit earlier that it hasn't always been pumpkins it initially started with turnips gourds were one of the earliest plant species domesticated by humans around 10,000 years ago mostly cultivated for their carving potential for kitchen tools dishes musical instruments toys furniture and more those are those are like seriously fun facts that's cool. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, they began carving them for uh, lanterns um, 700 years ago. The Mori word for gourd and lampshade are actually the same. Okay. But this brings us to the jack-o'-lantern. 
And I just want to read you a brief summary of Irish folklore where we get the jack o' lantern. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming you're going to cue some spooky music behind me. Deep, deep, deep bass, 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 bass. As the tale goes, a man called Stingy Jack invited the devil for a drink and convinced him to shapeship into a coin to pay with. When the devil obliged, Jack decided he wanted the coin for other purposes and kept it in his pocket alongside a small silver cross to prevent him from turning back into the devil. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he wouldn't bother Jack for one year and wouldn't claim Jack's soul once he died. The next year, Jack tricked the devil once more by convincing him to climb up a tree to fetch a piece of fruit. When he was up in the tree, Jack carved a cross into the trunk so the devil couldn't come down until he swore he wouldn't bother Stingy Jack for another ten years. But eventually Jack died. And when he died, God wouldn't allow him into heaven and the devil wouldn't allow him into hell. He was instead sent into the eternal night with a burning coal instead of a carved out turnip to light his way. He's been roaming the earth ever since. The Irish began to refer to his spooky figure as Jack of the Lantern, which then became Jack O'Lantern. It's pretty, pretty deep, dark stuff. Eh? Very interesting indeed. Walker, your thoughts? All right, good deal. Good deal. <laughs> I'm sitting here in awe, going, I, I really didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know that that's that's really neat to hear so that we can go beyond the walls of just knowing what we see today here in our modern times and just going with it just to see when I first started researching for for this one in America for this podcast I real I didn't realize it went back to past before the depression era but it really ramped up right there at the depression because that's when the mayhem and turmoil just skyrocketed in the U.S. because they didn't have anything else better to do. A lot of discord in the country anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anytime you would could afford to do something, you know, I mean, like in the Depression era. One of the things that I've, I've mentioned a couple times in here that, that I really enjoy is, um, is the fodder shocks. You know, I, I love seeing it. I love assembling them. That's just one of my favorite. It's not necessarily a Halloween Decoration per se, as more of it's just an autumn harvest, decoration, a harvest. Yeah. Uh, but that's really kind of what's kicking off here with uh, you know the All Hallows Eve, uh, is that transitional period. Uh, and I, I just want to read this to you a little bit here to give you a little history behind the fodder shock, uh, which is more as everything that we use to decorate today with. It had a very practical purpose and meaning. And this is be new to me, so I'm looking forward to this myself. Today, corn shocks are used as decoration, but a little over a century ago, they still served a very real purpose. Until the invention of modern harvesting equipment and new breeds, corn was one of the most labor-intensive crops to grow, but its high nutritional value for livestock made it well worth the effort for our farmers. However, northern areas of the U.S. faced a climate problem when it came to corn growing. It wouldn't normally be dry in time to plant a winter cover crop like winter wheat if it was left standing. Also, an early winter could make fields too muddy to work in. Shocking corn allowed the stalks to dry while also freeing up space in between the shocks for a cover crop. Farmers had to chop down the stalks one at a time and stack them in shocks to dry. 
Early shocks were created by weaving smaller stocks into the shock and also tying leaves together to help give it structure. After the shocks had dried, they were loaded onto a wagon to be hauled to the barn for processing. Then they were shucked by hand. The fodder was then cut into small pieces and stored to feed livestock, and the ears were moved to a corn crib for further drying. As machines were invented, the time needed to harvest the corn lessened. However, these early machines just bundled the corn into shocks. Shucking the ears and cutting the shocks into silage was still mostly done by hand. Today, of course, pretty much the whole process has been automated. Today's corn shocks have been relegated to fall decorations, and in our area, many people build them with corn stalks for their own gardens. Nice. Very nice. So having looked at a lot of history, a lot of the emblems, a lot of the items, a lot of the decorations even that we used, and some of the backstory behind that, I think it's now time to shift gears into more of a modern-day pop culture uh, look at the event, the holiday, the season of Halloween. It's one of those times where, you know, there has been um, another Halloween movie come out this season. Yes. I think that they are competing with Rocky now. I think Rocky's at 47. Halloween may be at 44. Um, but there's there's been a lot of movies made. Now I just want to watch Rocky versus Michael Myers. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so let's let's take a look at some of the music, some of the TV, some of the movies, and just an overall pop culture look at what Halloween uh, means to us today. And you know, this is still the biggest candy selling selling holiday. By. Six billion dollars. That's B. Yeah. B. B. Billion Six with a B. Billion. We're in the wrong business, gentlemen. That's right. Um, and who doesn't love the tradition of the great horror movie around the Halloween time? I mean, I like a good horror movie all year long, but there's just something that makes it really special around Halloween time. And one of the most iconic, of course, around this time is the movie simply called Halloween. And we're going to cue Halloween music, right? No. Oh, oh that's trade, trademark? Yeah, it's trademark. Yeah. I can't oh. do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can get something very, very similar <laughs> and get by with it. That's, it's Friday the 13th, but we'll go on. <laughs> Halloween, about the uh, babysitter stalking serial murder. Which pretty much launched Jamie Lee Curtis's career. Absolutely. The Scream Queen. And she still, as being just uh, said before, this little segment, is, and she's still the Scream Queen in the new Halloween movie um, installment, just released recently. Released in uh, 1978, John Carper is one of John Carper's first films, dealing with the mass serial killer stalking um, babysitters. Fun fact, Michael Myers' mask is actually a mold for William Shatner's mask. Indeed it is. Um, painted white. Good on you. Very good. But the reason I want to go to this, too, is the pop culture is Sawin. And it didn't go into the uh, Sawin uh, tradition until the sixth sequel of the franchise, explaining that Michael Myers had to kill his entire family or this cult of Sawin and the cult of the thorn would be murdered. First bringing in a very convoluted story to otherwise a scary simple story so I had made a reference in the first episode of this that I thought that uh, Sawin was brought into the Michael Myers story in the second movie mm -hmm. but it, that's incorrect yes, right? it's it's, correct. okay 
Incorrect or correct? Incorrect. Incorrect. Okay. Incorrect. Yeah. But the, the only reason I brought it up was I was bringing up the pronunciation as opposed to the spelling. And the counselor in that particular movie looked at the message and he, he was an expert. On this. You know, you are right. It was mentioned. I was thinking that it was, wasn't integral to the plot. Okay. Sorry. Right. My, so, my so the counselor goes, oh, no, Sam Hain. And then he goes on to explain it. Yeah, he knew everything about it. He just didn't have a clue how to pronounce it. Yes. And speaking of Sam, if you want to pronounce it Sam, there's a, um, a movie released, I think about it. I don't have the release date on hand at this time, but a movie called Trick or Treat. And um, it's got a little cute little killer in it. He just has this little corn mask on. But they actually call him Sam. And um, he goes around, and if you don't follow the traditions of Halloween, then you definitely get a trick. Um, no spoiler alert for that, because you definitely need to go check out that movie. It's amazing. If you want to get a feel for Halloween, you, if you want that Halloween feeling, just the cinematography of that movie is amazing. Mr. Walker. Well, I guess I'll, I'll tackle the music. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about getting to some of the iconic... Ones that we know of that was intentional for the All Hallows Eve uh, festivities, Monster Mash. Yeah. Let's let's just jump right into that. Who has ever went to a Halloween party, be it a children's or an adult's party, and not heard Monster Mash it, on the PA or the stereo one time? With Monster Mash, you know it's a Halloween classic. Absolutely. Going. It's no a graveyard smash. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew the rest of the lyrics because I really don't right now. <laughs> you he know? did the mash. The monster the mash. Monster the monster mash. He did the mash. <laughs> Something about Dracula and his son. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's one of the, the iconic pop songs. It, another one that actually really wasn't meant for Halloween was Thriller. And and if you would see right now the way Ben has got his glasses turned sideways and and actually trying to do the dance that he really can't. Yeah. Who sings that original? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I was going to say, but maybe we should keep it to that person. Yeah. Uh, Did you just come up with that? I'd never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah it's Back in fourth grade. Yeah, yeah it's mine. Yeah. Flashback, second grade. Yeah. But as I was actually scrolling through the list, a, a big one, you know, yet again, still wasn't meant for Halloween, but it's still played every Halloween. Ghostbusters. Absolutely, dude. I mean, you want to talk about a pop icon was Ghostbusters, then Ghostbusters 2, then having the reboot with the all-female cast. You know, we're starting to see, even back from the 80s, starting to take a jump into 2015, you know, going into 2020, whatnot, and, and seeing, seeing a few things. One I really want to dive into, and we all know it, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Man. Tim Curry. Yeah. Tim Curry in it, and, and and how many generations have now not only seen that movie from from the seventies, but can now sing Time Warp or Absolutely. is dressed up as that. I would even uh, wager to bet that some people know the Time Warp and not even seen the movie. That's how iconic that song is. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 good to mention that the Rocky Horror Picture Show was actually an adaptation. The movie was an adaptation of a screen, of a stage play. Absolutely. A very, very really? successful stage play. Yeah. I did not know that. A phenomenal cast going going forward. One that has really taken a huge jump in the Halloween era is um, the, the Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Absolutely. Oh, little Tim Burton. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Little, little Tim Burton, and, and well, you know, look at some of his stuff. He he did some dark stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there's some adult humor in it, and in, in, in otherwise children's movie. Right. And I'm not saying anything profane, and when I say adult humor, um, if you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. That that soundtrack, and I know that's that's a movie going back over into bleeding over there, but the soundtrack has become extremely popular. Another modern song, just one I remember hearing in in several different parties I went to, was a, a song called "She Wolf" by Shakira. Yeah, not Halloween themed whatsoever. So th- that's just some of the pop culture that coming into today. You know, looking from the from the fifties to the seventies when it when the Halloween movies became popular, whatnot. Now we're rolling into the eighties with Ghostbusters, and and now going into the nineties and. We're starting to see Halloween costumes and, and Halloween parties become more popular, dress-up parties. So it doesn't always have to be about Halloween for it to be Halloween-themed. Absolutely. We're going to begin to wrap this up here, our series on like a history. Present. Yes, yes, like a poorly wrapped present, I think, would, what would be best describing this episode. But wrapped nonetheless. Absolutely. Wrapped nonetheless. I just want to throw one name out there. Dracula. Ah. Dracula. What do you guys know about Dracula? I do know that's rooted very deep into history. Um, from Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler. Interesting. I'm going to seer Vlad the Impaler, and I'm going to raise you some Irish folklore in the form of the Dagradua. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Just that alone. The Dagra Dua. Well, you have caught my attention, Mr. James. Please elaborate. Most fans of the Celtic culture already know that Dracula is the Irish creation of Bram Stoker, who wrote the scary novel. But there's also a vampire that resides right smack in the middle of Ireland. Dagra Dua, an Irish name meaning red bloodsucker, is a female demon that seduces men and then drains them of their blood. According to Celtic legend, an Irish woman, who was known throughout the country for her beauty, fell in love with a local peasant, which was unacceptable at the time to her father. Her father forced her into an arranged marriage with a rich man who treated her terribly, and eventually she committed suicide. She was buried near Strongbow's tree in Waterford, but one night she rose from her grave to seek revenge on her father and her husband, sucking their blood until they dropped dead. Now known as the Dagradua, the vampire rises once a year using her beauty to lure men to their deaths, and there is only one way to defeat her. To prevent this vamp from rising from the grave, you simply build a pile of stones on her grave. It won't kill her, but it will at least hold her off until next year. While there is no confirmed link, some think that the legend of Count Dracula might have in some small way stemmed from the myth of the Dagradua. Written in 1897 by Abraham Bram Stoker, a born and raised Irishman, Dracula, though highly praised by critics, was initially not the overwhelming blockbuster we know of today. Stoker had been studying and researching European folklore for many years prior to the writing of his novel, 
And of course, the legends of Vlad the Impaler were well known and well feared throughout the lands of Transylvania and Romania, where Stoker was then vacationing. In his youth, Bram was a very sickly boy, bedridden until the age of seven. His time was often filled by stories told to him by his mother, Charlotte. Even though Charlotte was a charity worker by trade, she was also an inspiring writer. So it stands to reason that her imagination and storytelling ability was formidable. Her own childhood was littered with images of the cholera epidemic that ravaged the country in 1832, which no doubt gave her dark stories an even more decidedly morbid edge. Young Bram was enthralled and his imagination went merrily along with hers. As natives of folklore steeped Ireland in the early to mid-1800s, survivors of the Irish potato famine and the various assortment of horrors that followed in its wake, it is possible that not only was the legend of the Dagra Duer known to the Stokers, but that a fragment of her lore, no matter how small, was imprinted into the pages of what we now know as the classic Dracula. Love it, Ben. Um, I've actually never heard that. Um, I thought I was, I mean, I'm no aficionado in Dracula, but I thought I knew, you know, all the uh, the touch points, you know, but that's amazing. I love that. I love it. And me being um, of Irish ancestry, this series uh, has just heightened my curiosity and my love for Ireland, Scotland, that, that native area in that you know, realm of this world, and it's just been a fascinating, fascinating journey through the history of Halloween, into Sawween, and even into um, the the geographical locations of Tara, of Tlaka, and all of the lore that has surrounded each and every one's. And I, for one, can say that I am very glad that we decided to go beyond the walls of Halloween. like to say thank you once again for joining us here at Beyond the Walls podcast as we wrapped up our series on the history of Halloween. Once again, I do apologize for the recording quality of this episode. Beyond that, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at beyondthewallspodcast at gmail.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching Beyond the Walls podcast. If you enjoy our show and like what we do here, we ask that you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us. Those help get the word out even more than you know.